Welcome to the My Third Bloom podcast, where we get into unfiltered conversations about the powerful journey of aging gracefully during perimenopause and menopause, breaking taboos and embracing transformation. I'm your host, Trisha Blake, founder, CEO, and chief awesome officer of My Third Bloom, where we are on a mission to empower those experiencing perimenopause and menopause. We're guided by empathy and fueled by innovation. We provide support, education, and resources. Whether you're navigating the roller coaster of hormonal changes or seeking a supportive community, you're in the right place. Buckle up and get ready to bloom with strength, wisdom, and grace. Hey, listeners, welcome to the next episode of the My Third Bloom podcast. Our next guest is a pelvic health physiotherapist, intimacy coach, and educator in the greater Toronto area of Newmarket, Ontario. She works in private practice, treating clients both in person and virtually. She's also teaching faculty with the Pelvic Health Solutions Educating Future Pelvic Health Clinicians. She's a graduate from the University of Toronto Physical Therapy Program and obtained certification in sex therapy from the University of Guelph. She's practiced in orthopedic and pelvic health for the past 28 years and has a special interest in peri to postmenopausal health and women's sexual wellness. Her mission is to help women know and love their body so they can enjoy life to its fullest. Welcome to an insightful episode where we will have an engaging conversation about all things related to pelvic health, do a little myth busting and educate to elevate. Please join me in giving a warm My Third Bloom podcast welcome to Sheila Zelmer. Hey, Sheila. Welcome. Thank you so much. This is great. (laughs) That was awesome. (laughs) Thank you for saying yes. Thank you for saying yes. So starting things off really easy. Uh, Could you share a little bit about your journey with us and what sparked your passion and desire for specializing in women's pelvic health? Oh, this is such a good question. So when I started as a physiotherapist, I worked treating people's necks and backs and knees and that kind of thing. Um, I didn't start doing pelvic health until about 10 years ago. And I got to tell you, like growing up, my background, my family is from India, grew up in a very modest culture, and we did not talk about our bodies. So I had no idea about all the things that were going on at different points in my life. I didn't really have a mom that I could chat with about that, or other women in my life that I could chat with about that. And so when I was intrigued about the idea of pelvic health, it was like this whole new world of understanding my body and creating a space for women to be able to learn a little bit about themselves. Like we just don't have great education about it. We don't have a place where we can talk about it. So many things are considered taboo. And so that's sort of how I went from orthopedics into pelvic health. And now all I do is pelvic health. It is like all I really want to focus on because I think it's super important that this info gets out there and that women have access. Oh my goodness. We so agree. So agree. Like the taboo, the cultural stigmas, all of the things. I'm really excited to get into that a little bit further, but let's get down to the business, the business business. Uh, Mm -hmm. We are about empowering others through education, educate to elevate. And, you know, I was reading a stat where one in three women 
uh, will experience a pelvic floor disorder during her lifetime. It's that. Yeah. Like, so, oh my gosh. Yeah. That's uh, really, you know, um, and some of our listeners may already be familiar with the word, the term pelvic floor, but if we're going to start off with some foundational knowledge, what exactly is the pelvic floor and what is its significance in women's health? Like when we're talking about pelvic health, what does all that mean? All right. Yeah. So the pelvic floor is a group of muscles and it sits literally at the bottom of our pelvis. So it starts at the pubic bone in the front and it goes all the way to the tailbone in the back. And these muscles have five big jobs. So they give us bladder and bowel control. They act kind of like a bra to lift and support our organs. So our bladder, uterus, and rectum to sort of hold things more upright. Um, They have a sexual function, right? They've got to be able to be strong so that we can have arousal and orgasm, but also flexible so that if we want to insert something that that will allow that to happen. Um, It also acts like a sump pump to help us with our circulation. And it's a stabilizer. It's part of our core. So it helps us with uh, lifting and moving and just being active in life. And so if we think of those as five functions, when we have problems in any one of those five areas, that's a dysfunction. So you're right, up to one in three women will have pelvic floor dysfunction. So, you know, the the stats are about 33% of women will have bladder leakage. That's involuntary leakage of bladder. Maybe they sneeze or cough and a little dribble comes out, or maybe they dribble a little bit right before they get to the toilet. Um, And then 40% of women over the age of 60 will have prolapse. And 25% of women will have uh, discomfort and challenges with intimacy that then means that they're not going to have intimacy. Like it impacts their sex life to the point that they're not having sex because it's hurting or it's harder to orgasm or it's dry. So that's a big percentage of the female population that's going to have pelvic dysfunction. I just need to jump in. What is pelvic organ prolapse? Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So one of those functions that the pelvic floor does is to lift and support our organs. And a prolapse is when that is not happening sufficiently, right? So when we have a descent, a dropping of our bladder, our uterus, or our rectum, that's called a pelvic organ prolapse. And it can sometimes feel like a tampon is sitting a little bit funny inside the vagina. It can maybe feel like there's a ball, like if you looked with the mirror, you'd see a little bulge or a ball inside the vagina. Any of these things we describe as a pelvic organ prolapse. And so it's not just the muscles that are holding things up it's our you know tissue firmness the connective tissue you know all of our tissue does not stay the same firmness over the course of our life so there is this natural change that happens but in some women up to 40 percent that organ is going to drop into the vagina and they're going to feel it or it's going to feel like um they see it or they can uh, notice it when they wipe or um uh wash or something like that Is there anything that we can do to prevent that? Like if 50% of us, (laughs) Hila, I'm like, what? I know. Well, you know, so when we look at things like prolapse, when we look at things like bladder leakage, um, it's a pressure management issue, right? So uh, the pressure coming from above potentially. So if we cough or sneeze or jump or run, um, that force coming downwards is exceeding what we are able to do to close or to support. And so we can either have leakage or this feeling of heaviness. And so for sure, being strong and not just in the pelvic floor, because 
not all, a lot of us think about Kegels and I want to touch base on that for a second, but it's not just about that. We need to be strong in our whole body. You know, Mm -hmm. if we are not strong enough to squat, if we are not strong enough to carry um, the Costco order, you know, if you're going to pick up that 10 pound bag of potatoes and you don't have that strength, you are going to be bearing down with your torso. You're going to be pushing down and you're more likely to have leakage. And so for any of our listeners that have children, um, you know, carrying kids and kids plus a diaper bag or kids plus the grocery, that's a lot of force. Um, And so being strong holistically, even beyond the pelvic floor is super important. So in terms of prevention, that's Mm -hmm. a big one, being active. And I think many of us don't get enough physical activity uh, for that aspect. Yes. Are there any specific um, exercises that, that that we can do to to strengthen that area? Like, yeah. what's the recommendation? Because I I work out, you know, yeah. and um, you know, I'm thinking about oh, when I got to do those burpees, Ooh. <laughs> the jumping well, yeah. as well, <laughs> for sure. Okay, so you know. 100% I recommend all women really should have some kind of a screening of their pelvic health, um, especially around any hormonal transition. So pregnancy, after delivery, onset of perimenopause, perimenopausal changes, because there's a hormonal component too. But just like we go to the dentist for preventative care, um, being aware and educated. So you talk about educate to elevate. If we don't know what's happening inside our body, it's really hard to be able to do the right thing. So I think that's number one. And then number two, recognizing that Kegels are squeezing the pelvic floor. Like, you know, there's these yoni balls, there's jade eggs, there's different gadgets and apps and things like that. That is not necessary for everyone. And the reality is the majority of issues that women experience, whether we talk about uh, going pee really often, uh, having to run to the bathroom. So, you know, normal voiding frequency is peeing every two to three hours. But if you're going pee more often than that, um, if you're having to get up multiple times at night to pee, if you have to run to the bathroom and quickly hurry up to sit down before you void, these are all signs that those muscles are not working right. But squeezing more is not helpful. In fact, that's more to do with too much tension in the muscle. And so squeezing more or, you know, inserting one of these yoni balls or um, a jade egg and walking around for an hour, you're going to make those muscles even tighter, right? So it's understanding Mm -hmm. where we're at. Like we don't start working out and just do some random program, uh, you know, for our back muscles, we figure out what's the right thing for us. And the same thing goes with our pelvic health, but we just, we can't look at it. You can't look in a mirror and know, am I doing it properly? But this is why we need to work with someone to sort of get an idea of where am I at um, so that I can do the best thing for me and try to stay ahead of the game so that we're avoiding problems rather than trying to treat them after they happen. Right. And so that's seeing a physical health physiotherapist, because I think before I met you, uh, I didn't realize there was such a thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as a pelvic health physiotherapist, so I'm a physiotherapist, and then I did specialized training to do that. So I'm trained to do vaginal and rectal examinations. And so to have that examination, um, you know, we use gloves and lubricant, it's very, very respectful, it is not uncomfortable, it's not like having a pop. Um, And it is a matter of inserting my finger into the vagina, for example, to evaluate what are the muscle strength like? What is the endurance? 
What is the ability to relax? Can you connect with that? What happens if you cough? What happens if you try to engage your core? What do I feel happening there? Um, so it's really evaluating those muscles directly. You know, um, if you had knee pain and you went to a physiotherapist and they gave you exercises and told you what to do, but you kept your jeans on and they never examined you, we'd think that was odd. And so the same thing happens with our pelvic health. We want to make sure that whoever we're uh, seeing is actually evaluating the muscles directly. Okay. And so at what age, um, cause you talked about having a screening of yeah. your pelvic health and for those going into the menopause transition, is this something we need to start looking at earlier? And I know women who have babies, they, that, that screening of some sort is happening. Not but... necessarily. I'll oh, tell you, really? it's not. No, no, it's not. And that's the thing, right? So you have women and it's very interesting, like post pandemic, the care, for example, of women after they have a baby, they're not even necessarily having a six week follow-up. So they deliver the baby. They maybe have a phone call or maybe if there's any problems, go back to your family doctor, but there's no check-in to see. Was there like you tore, you had stitches. How are those muscles functioning? You know, if I tore the ligaments in my ankle, you better believe they're sending me for physio to rehab that, right? right. We don't do this for women women's care, right? So it is a matter of saying, okay, I, I had this transition, I had this happen, I delivered a baby, where am I at? Even a C-section, just being pregnant, having those muscles, and mm -hmm. having the changes that happens to your body, even if you don't push vaginally, there is value in that. So um, yeah, even if you went through that period, I didn't have any issues, you know, I had my kids, it was no problem, I was able to exercise, I feel good. But now you're in that perimenopause, uh, and approaching the menopause transition. There's no such thing as too late. Get it checked out and know where you're at, right? So do we have to get a referral from our doctors? We can just call yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, pelvic physiotherapist, you can go and see them directly. You don't require a referral. Now that said, if you have coverage, some people have medical benefits or health insurance. Um, sometimes the benefit plan does require a doctor's notes, but that's not, that's more to do with your individual plan as opposed to the requirement of the physio. But yeah, you know, again, it's an hour assessment. You're given a bit of a snapshot of where you are. And again, we want to sort of see like, is there a conversation, you know, we're, we're trained to be able to talk to you about the role of vaginal estrogen, the role of vaginal moisturizers, strengthening exercises, um, you know, consultations with gynecologists or people for pessaries, which is a silicone device that can help support a prolapse. You know, we want women to be active and vital. We, you know, one of the challenges when we have things like leakage or prolapse, it's mm -hmm. more than just feeling like I have to wear a pad it is progressive, like it doesn't get better over time, it gets worse. And then women are less likely to engage in physical activity, they reduce their social interaction, because they don't want to smell like pee, they don't want to mm -hmm. worry about like a bulky pad, it impacts their ability to travel. So it's general quality of life, right? Mm -hmm. um, when you're worried about smelling like urine, you're maybe not going to enjoy sex as much as well, right? Like it's so huge, um, that we really do need to stay on top of it. So our pelvic health matters. What's interesting too, I think that like we're saying that, you know, do the screening of a get pelvic health screening, but how many women are actually going to seek treatment? Like, I think when we were talking earlier about the shame and taboo, you know, most women are embarrassed to speak about, you know, their pelvic floor problems. And, you know, you've talked about the signs and 
there's needs for intervention. How can we make, flip the dial to <laughs> your public well, health matters? But you know what? So podcasts like this, right? Good social media accounts, um, you know, events where you and I met, like this is empowering and educating women to understand that this is something that they should think about, that they're not alone in this. So mm-hmm. you're right. You know, up to 33% of women are having issues, but fewer than 8% report it to their family doctor. So if we think of your family doctor as the primary care provider, um, you know, you've got fewer than 8% saying anything, either because they don't feel comfortable talking about it, or there's this belief, well, it's just part of getting older. You know, my mom leaked, my grandma leaked, my sister leaked, like that's just what you do. And you see these ads for all the pads and everything. And so we stay in dysfunction, we stay stuck. But if we We can't say, for example, do exercise to an intensity because we're leaking all the time. So we pull back on physical activity, just as an example, Mm -hmm. you know, so we're not lifting heavy weights. Maybe we're not loading, like we're not jumping or any of those things because we're worried about leakage that impacts now bone health that impacts heart health. And so it's more than just the bladder. It's kind of how it impacts the rest of our life too. So interesting to, to further that, you know, um, there's the stigmas, just the cultural nuances. So okay. having the, the certain cultural backgrounds, right? Yeah. Obviously, not obviously, but maybe more hesitant to address these issues. How do you navigate cultural nuances in your practice? And you, you, you're you uh, teaching, you know what I mean, at, at Pelvic Health Solutions. What advice do you have for healthcare professionals in creating inclusive and culturally sensitive, like, pelvic health spaces or these spaces so we can have these conversations yeah well you know so it's really interesting right so um i'm really proud to be part of pelvic health solutions and they are really on the forefront of really providing inclusive and safe welcoming spaces trauma-informed care culturally sensitive um and uh, education that's adaptive so they do offer for healthcare providers um you know cultural competency courses Mm. um Yes, and courses around like different um, cultural and religious aspects of it, because that's an aspect too, right? Um, And so understanding all of those things. And so, you know, I would like to think that um, healthcare providers are working on continuing education. It's up to each of us to sort of... um, identify weaker areas and work on that. And so um, there are some great programs that are out there and great courses, uh, workshops and things like that. And then again, spaces like this, where we're having conversations, you know, two women of color having a conversation about what this looks like, right? Because our lived experiences are going to be vastly different. And, you know, our clients yet again are so, but more representation just creates that safety, right? It creates a space for conversation um, and a willingness to engage, you know, I'm not afraid to ask some of the questions because, you know, I talk about sex and intimacy. And for uh, some people, that is a really hard topic to have a conversation with. But in building a relationship, it gets easier, right? Let, let's get into the business of that. Yeah. Uh, this, uh, in <laughs> yeah. your role as a sexual intimacy coach, yep. how does, um, there's so many things, but like, how does addressing you know, the pelvic health, how do you open up the conversations like for partners? Like recently uh, with My Third Bloom, we had just posted about, you know, menopause and relationships and the challenges and how do we, you know, engage or start to have those conversations with our partners, with our family, et cetera, when you're not supposed to talk about it. I'm not comfortable talking about it. Yeah. 
But, you know, I really think it starts with the person, like the woman at first, mm-hmm. because, you know, you may want to have your partner understand more. You may want your partner to do things different or change, but you have a lot of guilt and shame yourself. Mm-hmm. So really addressing that and really like unpacking what does that mean? Like, how do you feel about this? Because I think it then becomes easier to have a conversation. If you feel bold in it, if you feel strong and badass about what is happening to your body and all the beautiful potential it has, it is way easier to have a conversation about how your body is changing and how to make sex feel amazing from mm-hmm. that perspective, as opposed to. I don't like the narrative and I hear it a lot, unfortunately, when some clients are saying, I feel bad for my partner because I'm just not interested anymore. Or I feel bad, you know, they want it more. Like, never mind them. What about you? What do you worry about you? What about you? What what feels good to you? Do you know what feels good to you? Has anyone ever asked, what is it that you find so arousing, so pleasurable? And how do we go there, right? Like, so that's really where I believe we have to start because from there, when we feel more confident and secure, it's much easier to then have that conversation. So let's use the example of someone who wants to take up running as an activity. Mm -hmm. Running as an activity means I need to be mindful of when I go to bed so I can wake up in the morning to do the run. Maybe it's different training regimens and I got to follow certain nutrition. You know, maybe on the weekend I'm going to join a race. And so I got to plan all of that. I got no problem when I'm totally excited about it, communicating to my family. I need this time for me to do that. So why is it not the same with sex? or whatever it is, like, even if it's like the ability to go to the gym or whatever, we, we have a lot of guilt about that. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And, and how are you helping? Like, is there anything that we could like any key takeaway for that to, yeah. to work on that with ourselves that you could share with our listeners? So what I would say is if we think about pleasure as meaning what we're aiming for, pleasure really begins outside of the bedroom. And so I think for many of us, we approach the perimenopause transition and we've just been hustling. Like life has, it's just busy, busy, busy. Mm -hmm. And have we really asked ourselves, what do I do just for the fun of it? Like I always ask Mike, what do you do just for fun? What do you do to relax? And I get this like, ha ha ha, you know, like, you know, I don't even know, right? And I don't mean scrolling your phone. I mean, just something that is joyful for you. Because if you cannot identify pleasure outside of the bedroom, you're not going to identify it in the bedroom. Like it's just, it's hard, right? It becomes about someone else. So I think really finding joy and pleasure in life outside, whether that is um, delicious food that we don't feel guilt about or that we don't feel bad about, right? Because guilt about food, guilt about sex, like it's all the same stuff, right? Um, So how do we enjoy that? Um, How do we maybe really enjoy some essential oils or something and, you know, a nice bath or a nice steam or something like that, that just feels so pleasurable without the guilt, being able to take that time for ourselves, uh, could be good connection, it could be doing like an activity that you love, whatever it is, not decluttering the house, I have clients that say that, or, you know, organize a (laughs) closet, I love that. that, that's great. But that is not pure joy and self-indulgent stuff that I'm talking about. So I think we as women really need to tap back into that pleasure and play aspect in order to really be able to go there. Um, And then because sometimes that brings up like narratives, we have all kinds of notions of like, you know, we were brought up 
sitting still is lazy. You know what I mean? Like that, you know, oh, you should always be working. Oh, you're, you know, sleeping in is lazy. Like all of these sorts of narratives around this industriousness that women have to do. Um, and I think we have to sort of unpack that too. Mm -hmm. One of my mantras for uh, is it is safe for me to rest. Yes. And just the importance of that, like it's yeah. okay to, it's okay to press pause. Yeah. And, you know, that can recharge. sound rebellious. That can sound rebellious to people, right? Absolutely. Or even for ourselves, right? Countercultural. Yes. Yeah. It, it is safe for me to rest, listeners. Indeed. Um, oh my gosh, there's so much to unpack. There's so many, <laughs> I have so many questions and I have very little time, which means I probably will have to bring you uh back, invite you back uh to continue this conversation because there's Definitely, I would love to get more into um, some of the intimacy pieces yeah. yep. uh, to dig into that a little bit more, because this is an adult podcast. <laughs> We're going to talk the business and talk adult yes. things. And that is OK. This is normalizing the conversation. And mm -hmm. I think that is definitely um, definitely what is what's important, right? Like our sexual wellness and all of it is tied together, like even mentally, emotionally. Um, physically. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you about, um, we're talking about different types of exercise and the importance of working out and exercise. Any specific type of exercises, like top three that you could recommend? Yeah. yeah. So for sure. I mean, if we were to sort of lump it really uh, globally, you yeah. know, never mind the 10,000 steps, we really should be getting 150 minutes of cardiovascular exercise a week. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's like 20 something minutes a day or 30 minutes, five days a week where your heart rate is going up. Right. Like not right. just a little bit of a stroll or I, I'm active all day at my work or I'm always running around. It's not the same. Right. It's 150 minutes of intentional getting your heart rate going up. So if that means like a brisk walk or a bicycle ride or whatever it is, that's great. And then the other thing is we definitely need to load our joints with heavier weights, you know, gone are the days where, um, you know, you could go to a class at like good life or one of these places and you're doing reps with like three pounds. Um, you know, there's value sure in having a familiarity with how to move with light weights, but we really need to be loading like in for some muscles, like squats, like into the hundreds, right? Like percentages of body weight is what we're talking about, right? So, you know, holding three pound dumbbells or five pound dumbbells, like that's less than that bag of potatoes or the, you know, four liters of milk or whatever it is, right? Like, so we need to be strong. So those are probably my top two. Um, and if you're not comfortable with that, you're not sure what that looks like, you know, um, again, working with someone, there are personal trainers, there are physiotherapists um, that can help you. And, you know, as we approach midlife, we get aches and pains, back pain, knee pain. And so we're worried about lifting heavy because we have aches and pains, but that worsens over time, right? So we need to make sure that we're on top of that. And then the pelvic health stuff, making sure that you're doing the right kind of exercises. We all lose muscle bulk if we don't maintain it. Um, and so understanding what that means for your pelvic health. And what are, are there specific types of pelvic health? Are there general ones or there's so many? Like, well, sure you know what? Yeah, like, you know, just like any muscle, if you are working on bulking it up, as opposed to endurance, it kind of depends on what your issue is. And if you don't have any issues, how do we maintain good yeah. health? and connection with the core. So our pelvic floor is part of the core, right? So when we engage our core muscles to squat or to do a burpee, the pelvic floor is kicking in. And That's so a, if it's 
yeah, if it's not doing its job properly, we can feel heaviness or we can have leakage or we can have back pain. So it's understanding what that looks like. And so it might be pelvic floor exercises like Kegel type exercises, squeezing and lifting. Um, it might be breathing and relaxing, like engaging the core and not gripping and holding like no muscle works by clenching it continuously right yet many of us will think oh I'll just put one of these like Benoit balls in and go for a walk but that's again not how we strengthen muscles right they have to engage and relax but mm -hmm. again you got to know what the right thing is for you yeah so go and see a professional and yeah I, I really think help. it's hard it's so hard to be able to um download an app or look at a video and be able to know um without certainty. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I will uh, continue to do my squats. Amazing. Yeah. Squats are amazing. And, and my core work to yeah. work on my pelvic floor. I'm definitely going to look into the screening yeah, my pelvic it. health because I don't know what I don't know. Right. So 100%. it's uh, preventative. Yeah. And I think we, we definitely should talk more um, about that and encourage women and empower them, educate to elevate, you know, as I say. Uh, before we wrap up, let's have a bit of fun. Uh, okay. If you could give one piece of advice to your younger self about pelvic health, what would it be? Oh, start using a vaginal moisturizer early. Oh, yes. Yeah. So you, let's talk about that. Hold okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just like we, you know, skincare, we want to start that early, right? Uh -huh. Um, Everything gets drier as we get older. We just How have early is early, Sheila. You know, I recommend all women the age of 40 and older okay. use a vaginal moisturizer. Yeah. You know, for sure. So you can buy vaginal moisturizers in, and that's not a lube, right? Lube is for slide and glide, right? Like it's for penetration, <laughs> it's for inserting a toy, you know, great. But I'm talking about like skincare for down there, right? So a hyaluronic acid based vaginal moisturizer. There's lots of different ones on the market. Some are a suppository, some are a gel, some are a cream. I'd recommend using that every single night, just like you use skincare, just mm -hmm. to maintain. It's easier to keep a grape, a grape, than to turn a raisin back into a grape. Ooh, Sheila. <laughs> We're talking raisins right now? Oh gosh. <laughs> so we really want to stay on top of that because, you know, Again, if, if things become dry and it's not just about sex, right? Like your clothes fit funny. You feel like your underwear is like bothering you and things like that. Um, it's harder to do certain activities because things are dry or rubbing or chafing. We want to be moisturized and healthy everywhere. So yeah, I would definitely say that would be what I would say. Start using that early. All right. Start using that early. Vaginal moisturizers. Last question. Where can our listeners find you? I'm on Instagram. So you can find my Instagram at Sheila Zelmer and my website, SheilaZelmer.com. So I've got, um, you know, different videos. I've got different um, free guides, links to different workshops and different events that are coming up. Some are in person, some are online, uh, lots of different ways to connect. Wonderful. Looking forward to connecting more. So there you have it. As we conclude today's episode, let's reflect on the importance of breaking free from cultural stigmas surrounding pelvic health. A massive thank you to Sheila Zelmer for shedding light on not just the physical aspects, but also the cultural nuances of pelvic well being. Remember, cultural diversity should enrich our conversations, not limit them. 
Stay tuned as we continue to unravel the secrets of aging gracefully during the menopause transition and educate to elevate. And with that, we're out. Bye, all. Thank you for joining us on this episode of My Third Bloom. If you found value in our conversation, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Your support means the world to us and helps us reach more incredible souls like you. Remember, you're not alone on this journey. Connect with us on social media at My Third Bloom, visit our website, and be part of our thriving community. Until next time, keep blooming and embracing the beauty of your third bloom. This is Trisha Blake signing off with peace, love, light, and grace.